You are now in Cyberspace, the official podcast of the Cyber Festival. I'm Tanika Hunter and I'm hosting you. Welcome, come through and grab a cup of tea. Today, we're with Dutch communication designer and media researcher, Marijn Brill. Marijn is one of our brilliant creators for discourse, like me, so maybe I'm a bit biased, but that still stands because Marijn's work has been exhibited, screened at the Dutch Design Week, the Wrong Biennale Valencia, Air Gallery in New York, the 60 Seconds Festival in Copenhagen, and many more. So there. We talked about how she feels about digital culture, some of the stuff she curated for Cyber, and how much screen time she actually clocks up on a daily. Something that you refer to is digital mediation. What, what does that actually mean and how is that related to your work? Um, so what I personally thought was what I was really intrigued by is this idea of um, seeing a world through your screen and not being able to go outside these days, especially. And we are kind of stuck inside and then the only way to feel like you're still traveling or you feel like you're still having a relationship to a landscape um, is by watching through your window or through your virtual browser window. Um, so that's a bit the, the pun, of course, in the, the title of the program as well. When I look through my browser window, I can feel the fresh air. Mm-hmm. Um, and playing on these different ideas of what does it then mean to connect to an environment and to feel maybe present within an environment when it has to be through your screen. And can mm-hmm. you then still actually establish a relationship um, to this environment, or is it just flat and is it only representation? Um, so those are different kind of questions. And in that sense, it's asking like if we look through the screen, we look through the frame of the browser window, mm-hmm. uh, that literally and, and metaphorically um, frames the thing that the way that we're looking at something and the thing that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are different notions that I'm trying to explore within that program to see from different perspective of uh, different designers who actually work with the creation of these visual languages. So the ones who work with 3D models or um, other forms of actually showing nature as a representation or as an image or a video or a 3D environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are different choices made within that, of course, of how you show that nature. What sort of formats are within this this section of your curation? Um, There are a couple of different ones. Um, So there's different video essays that try to work on this idea of the more, let's say, discursive element of of these different perspectives and all the complexity that comes with that. Um, And part of that is maybe historical understanding or a conceptual understanding um, of how we categorize the world into nature or technology and all these different um, elements of that. Mm. So part of that is through video essays. um, Then I thought it's very important to actually have something that's more interactive. So there'll be a workshop on online wildlife watching um, by looking at different live streams. So there's an entire collection online where you can watch bears and you can watch elephants in the wild live streams um, and people spend hours watching those and engaging through the chat. What is a video essay actually? Um, It's working with different elements so it's you can of course there's the standard idea of writing an essay that's a piece of text Um, but then in a video essay that there's still the discursive element of trying to engage with theory and asking different questions and kind of theoretically or conceptually um, untangling different ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but then through still info, through using visual language at the same time, um, which fits perfectly, I think, to the program because it is the idea of screen-based nature or nature in your browser is supposed to be visual because that's you, something you're looking at and you might hear about. Um, so it plays with these different elements. And then, for example, one of the those video essays um, 
uses the, uses the internet itself. So you're mm-hmm. more or less looking at someone else's desktop and following their narrative as they uncover things and as they research different elements. Mm. And you, you know, you, you focus a lot in in nature and, and nature and the digital. And I, I assume from the outside, a lot of um, objective opinions about this is that they're sort of antithesis that nature and digital are opposites. What's your sort of view on those two those two very integral elements of our of our lives, especially right now with the digital? Do they oppose each other? Do they complement each other? Or what are your views on the two elements? I think in a sense that they're very different, but not per se on the fact that a tree on your screen isn't a real tree and that's not a real ecosystem, mm-hmm. um, but also in the way that we actually relate ourselves and we understand it. So if I go outside, I understand my environment through my body and I understand it through smell and through size and texture. And there's all these elements that are harder to translate or even to evoke or simulate um, in online environments. So I think this whole idea of embodiment is very different in those different places. And in that sense, it's very different. Um, and then I would say, um, in a sense, the way that we look at that kind of imagery online often says way more about our cultures than it actually does about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and an example of the wildlife workshop um, really tries to play on that as well, how we can watch live streams of animals, but in the end, we're talking to one another in the chats and someone starts maybe talking about how it's going at their job way more than they really discuss the animals themselves. So I think mm-hmm. this idea of screen-based nature is so cultural. Um, that it's hard to kind of see that as nature as such. It's mm. really our own understanding and our own perceptions that we then um, project on something that we create. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a workshop, um, audio tours, a panel discussion. Could you tell us a bit more about those formats? Yes, so the idea of the audio tour is to invite people to also go outside of their screen. Um, the, the focus of the, of the program is really this idea of screen-based nature and our understandings. Um, but it would be fine if silly to not recognize that, of course, that's only representation. And of course, that's only a flat piece of behind the glass of your screen itself. Um, so the auditor actually asks people to go outside and then have a small walk. And then not everybody lives close to a park, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But even being in the middle of a city, you're still part of, you still feel the weather. You still feel it's rainy or if it's very cold in winter. So there's still natural elements as such that are part of your environment. Um, so the auditor really tries to engage with that and actually reinform your understanding of online nature through the, your understanding of actual being outside and, and feeling your environment through your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the panel tries to untangle that through different discussions. So I invited um, the different video essayists to discuss and look at their perceptions and the way that they create nature as, as designers, because they're all very visual people um, and the visual languages they use and why they use those languages. and where these design processes come from, but also what they then result in. These principles that you apply in your in the work that you created for this year of the festival, how much do you actually apply them to, to your relation to, to the digital and computer and, and being being online? Do you actually get time away from your screen? Do you make I sure think you I'm make- a terrible example? <laughs> <laughs> I think whoever you would ask, they know that I spent, I wouldn't say 24-7 behind my laptop, but it gets close. Um, <laughs> So it's something that I'm aiming to do. And I felt that I knew I did that already before the lockdown that I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time in front of my computer because that's how I work and that's part of my leisure as well. So that's, I agree, somewhat of an unhealthy relationship maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I do try to to force myself more to actually go outside and go for walks these days because I normally you would go to work or you would go to university or you naturally go outside more you go to meet yeah. people so you feel like you're more part of society um so at least i try to push myself to have have walks there's a, a park nearby so i can go for small walks in between breaks and try not to stare at my screen all day do you have do you think a uh, an overall optimism about where we are now with digital behavior how we behave online um where uh, how we can be ethical online and sort of be um, something that's a very key concept of the festival, virtual bonding, how we can do that um, ethically. Do you have an optimistic view of, of how we're doing that right now? I think that's a very difficult question because I think there's a lot of different kind of aspects that play into that, um, that I feel that I wouldn't say everybody, but people right now are still trying to, starting to understand it more because it becomes more and more important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of it is a bit of a question of accessibility in terms of what do people feel comfortable with. So if you invite someone into Mozilla Hubs, that's amazing for certain people and incredibly scary for others. Um, So I think what's nice within the festival is actually that there are different ways of engaging and there's ways of engaging that are more immersive for people people who are more, um, a bit more tech savvy, let's say, Mm. Um, but also people who might just feel uncomfortable or who don't maybe want to participate that much, but like to join in, who can just look at a live stream of a program um, and do that on their computers, on the couch, mm-hmm. and it's completely fine as well. Um, so I think that's only a surface layer, but part of that to just to make people feel comfortable in recognizing that people are simply different um, and that there's never a, a one solution fits all. There's never something that actually fits to everybody because people have different personalities, but also different ways of engaging online and feeling comfortable with that. Mm. Um, so I think that's very important. And then in terms of an overall pessimism or optimism, um, I find it hard because I think on a larger scale, if you look at platforms and platforms that are used, the, the platforms themselves are often incredibly problematic. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about social media and different ways of how we engage, mm-hmm. um, even the way that we send emails, even email servers that um, have a certain lack of privacy or a certain lack of um of making you feel safe to actually say whatever you feel like. Um, so I think that's tricky in that sense. I think digital or internet or however you want to phrase it um, can never of course be good or right or wrong or can mm-hmm. never only be empowering or only be problematic or it's always a combination of all those factors combined. I'm also really interested in how how you got to this stage of curating for a digital festival. What was your path to here? Did you see yourself doing something like this is it still something you are, are interested in doing in the long term? Are there other things you're interested in? Um, what I think is really nice is that especially I'm incredibly fascinated by digital culture. Um, so I think it's really nice to actually then curate something for a digital platform because it makes sense and it kind of it can reflect on itself and it can make a nice circle as such. Um, so for my interest of digital culture, um, and I've also been working more on a making kind of basis, more as a designer, as an artist, mm-hmm. um, and more as a researcher within, let's say, more text-based. Um, but from this this absolute fascination with digital culture, um, the online fed platform fits really nicely. And I think even after lockdown, well, I feel like there is a bit more recognition for, for browser-based work. Um, and that even after the lockdown, a lot of different events still recognize that there's value in having things online and you can reach audiences you might not be able to reach normally. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so within my own work where I'm doing these different elements, um, doing browser-based work definitely will still still stay there. And what are you most excited to see about this year's festival, the first year of cyber? I think what I'm particularly excited about, and that's the very large thing, very abstract thing, um, but just the fact that Cyber Festival aims to really have, to bring energy together, to have people together and have the feeling that something is exciting and interesting and that it's not just our monotone lives as I think a lot of people experience them right now by being home. Um, so this idea of, of it being energetic and, and interesting, um, especially opposed to, to our situation right now. And I think in that sense that it's really it would be super interesting to make new connections to people um, and especially with the festival being online to connect with people who are way further away. Um, I'll be connecting myself from Rotterdam even though the festival's in Vienna and that still will work out as well as such. Um, and that'll be the same thing of course for people joining as, as visitors or people listening in. But I find personally really important within programs um, is that there's a combination of aesthetics and of of the sort of discursive complexity, um, where I think that there's a lot of interesting discursive talk that happens within academia and it happens within people who are reading and writing, um, resulting in very thick books that most people in their free time wouldn't necessarily go through. Um, and then there's a lot of interesting thing, things happening with designers and artists who work more visually and who build entire visual languages to express ideas. Um, and I think there's a great strength in those two coming together where they can actually reinforce one another and the reflection can also, they can also reflect on those visual languages and the visual languages themselves can be used to create a form of, of reflection. Um, and this dialogue of, of the complexity maybe that can be discussed within language, um, but it can definitely also be there within visual elements. Um, and then a bit of pinch of foolishness, I think that's important when it comes to internet itself. So there's always an element of things being a bit weird or being a bit off. That's what makes internet kind of yeah. I believe. You just heard from Marine Brill, one of our discourse curators. Tomorrow we're talking about my programme, finally, I hear you say. You're welcome, I'm looking forward to it too. But before then, I want to introduce you to another important part of Cyber's discourse programme, that is cyber activism. I spoke to fellow cyber curator Ayo Aloba, my friend, non-biological brother and collective member of the DJ collective Sounds of Blackness. Ayo talked about his work on cyber activism and how he came about curating for this very special part of the discourse programme. My understanding of cyber activism is how we are using uh, the digital platform to convey narratives that have to do with um, injustice in context of, you know, it can be whether it's for, whether it's in a sort of racial or political gender, whatever genre you want to put in there. So the, the platform, the digital platform is there to be able to um, get the message, you know, spread in the digital era, so to speak. Yeah, and in what in what kind of formats does that take place for you? You're, you're very multifaceted. Also, you're as in in terms of disciplines that you're very much in as an artist, someone who sort of easily flows between production, um, dance. Um, you, you spin, you DJ, 
you're also an instrumentalist. That it, it's it's interesting for me, like what what format and the digital did this activism thing come to place? I used the uh, you know like especially Instagram is one of my uh, hotspots where I tend to get my message across uh, in forms of moving images or you know like uh, collage you know in forms of animated collage mm-hmm. because I find over the past maybe three four years I've I've been using that as a um, as a point as a how can you say uh, as a form as a language of of actually telling a story you know mm. i mean me being nigerian and um with a lot for example if you look at what happened last year politically with what was happening in nigeria with the whole hashtag you know and mm. uh, thing it was great for me to be able to use powerful images that relate to Nigeria and how I can manipulate it mm. and still tell a story because journalists use writing, they use words. And, and I think for color people like who make collage artists, they use images. And I find it a challenge and also, uh, you know, a reward to be able to use, you know, um, yeah, an image. What can an image say? You know, like a picture tells thousand words, you know, mm-hmm. but how can I use that? image to get people's attention in mm. this short attention span era where mm-hmm. you know you look at your you look at images on your on your phone for like a few seconds and then you flick to the next thing you know so so i'm always trying to catch people for that short period of time you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so ever saw that she saw what i was doing and then yeah. she said well you know i would like you to be involved and maybe you know because of what you do maybe you can you know bring that so i don't think it was more that i should be doing something for us but Mm -hmm. like hey i like how you're thinking your thought process and what you do and yes so um i wanted it to be the cyber activism to be because i would necessarily call myself uh you know cyber activist person Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i mean yeah maybe they have a political message but i think there are people out there who like eat breathe this whole activism thing, you know. Mm. So I think it was important to get them um, and use that platform. Mm. And so that's why Inwen, okay, who's one of the um, cyber activists, she's a British Nigerian and she's a game designer. So what she does is not necessarily that she designs games for playing. She uses the tools that are designed for games to bring those structures of, you know, black women in those spaces, the lack of black mm-hmm. women in, those, mm-hmm. in the technological spaces. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so she's a, she uses gaming theories to develop, um, yeah, social political construct doing with, mm-hmm. you know, with, yeah, with black feminism and whatnot. So, I mean, like, I, I was, I didn't even know <laughs> that such a thing exists, but, you know, you're from the UK, so you know how more, more advanced people are there, you know. There's a, there are websites that is just for black women coders, you know, black female mm-hmm. coders. So, like, so it, it's to give them um, the spotlight and make people aware that they do exist, you know, yep. that Silicon is not just, Silicon Valley is not just about white yuppie boys, that there is a, an array of ethnic minority who are mm-hmm. actually changing the algorithm game. I think it's so important that you've that you've curated in that way and that's who you're giving the platform to. I think you're right that we've got we've got to remember that this 
even though this is an international festival, it has the potential to be an international festival and catch that kind of reach because it's virtual. So there's no sort of physical border. But I think it's also important to remember the context we're in being Austria and the fact that it is very far behind on, on, on you know, imagining a black woman, a black, black female coder or programmer or software developer. And it, it is, it doesn't, it doesn't seem that far away as you can imagine in the US or, or the UK, but I think that message here is also very, very important and timely. So it's amazing that you're giving you're giving the platform to those people, and I, I would I would beg to differ that you yourself. I know that you you're humble about yourself, and that you don't necessarily address yourself as an activist per se, and that's also okay. But I think that <clears throat> what you what you do, and through this platform, it's it's clear to me why you're chosen to do this because you have the reach and the sensitivity to 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 curate in this way, and I think that your intention um, behind this is it says everything about you and also it will really enrich the program. But I know, I will now hear you want to like drop some more names. Who else is in it? Who else is in your, so she's doing a takeover. Um, yeah. So Imwen Eke, yeah, yeah. British Nigerian based in the UK, she's doing the takeover and I'm really excited about that because she's the one who brought me on the whole kind of black coders and, mm. you know, like she introduced me to that world. The other person I'm excited about is uh, Indefatu. Mm -hmm. who's from Gambia and she lived in LA. She worked in-house with Nike and mm. she, she was chosen amongst an, a group of people to develop uh, like, so she was using African pattern on Nike shoes, you know, like she developed mm. and for whatever reason, she decided to leave that and stuff because I also think Nike also took her ideas, you know, and uh, you know how the game goes. So, but um, but she's so, how can I describe it? But she's very like, ah, you know, like, nah, like I have other stuff to do. Like she wasn't like, oh, they're taking my stuff or whatever. Like clearly some of her shoes are out there now with the wow. African pattern that she actually created. So she went back to Gambia and she's actually helping women uh, start up. She's a, what do you call it? A fashion accelerator. She mm. said it. Mm -hmm. So she's helping women um, with startup. Mm -hmm. And you know how it is back uh, in, in the motherland where when people, when there's not always electricity and stuff, yeah. so she's finding ways. And she was telling me like sometimes, you know, it would just freeze or there was no electricity mm -hmm. and they would just sit and they would be writing, taking notes. So she's like trying to help other women in the continent to in Gambia to kind of get their business out there. So she's... Uh, yeah, so she's a fashion accelerator mm. and um, an artist as well. She dances. And I'm really excited what she's going to be doing because she's going to be deconstructing uh, from her culture gods, like um, deities that are seen mm. as patriarchal deities. She's mm. going to be saying, what if it was a woman who are inhabiting those patriarchal deities? So she's going to prepare something where she's going to deconstruct that, you know? So that's wow. really exciting. And uh, so it's um, Imwen, then Indefatu, and then Asiri Magazine, which are, um, they're based in Nigeria. And they are, uh, how can you, they are like a artistic art. They, so basically they're an archive and they, basically Asiri Magazine means secret. Mm -hmm. The word itself is secret. In, um, in Yoruba mm -hmm. and in some other languages in Nigeria. So Assyri is a very kind of, when you hear Assyri means hidden or secret. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind it is to showcase history of Nigeria uh, that 
people wouldn't necessarily know, you know, because people know about Nigeria of the, you know, the music, the Afrobeat, you know, the, hey, the Nollywood. So you have that shebang, but mm. many people, for example, are less clueless about, you know, for example, you know, the queen, uh, uh, when she came to visit Nigeria and what the political implications was around mm. that time before mm. Nigeria had its independence, mm-hmm. before pre-60s, you know. And so there are all these um, photographs and pictures and archive of Nigeria under the colonial uh, sort of, um, if you like, bubble, but they're just how the culture continues to thrive mm. despite external disruption. So mm. as Siri, what they do is that they, they always go back to like a Wikipedia for Nigeria, they archive the arts or historical moments that were happening in Nigeria as far as, I don't know, 30s, 20s even. So, and they combine it with arts as well. So it's not just the past, it's also the present as well. And I'm really, really um, glad that we could get us to the magazine because these guys are, you know, even with what was happening last year, again, with the whole political occurrences, these guys were still finding ways to, you know, preserve you know it's all about preservation and mm-hmm. they're finding ways to document history and yeah. not even when the funding wasn't there or whatever i don't know how these guys are doing it but they wow. you know they're not re- i don't know how much state support they're getting but mm-hmm. you know they're really passionate about the country yeah. and they're really passionate about history i'm looking forward to see what they how they contribute to this so then you have the free takeovers and then the last format is a more discursive interview format or yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. So the discursive format, um, we got uh, two um, two people. One is uh, um, Mina Salami, Karl-Heinz Brandenburg, who's the pioneer of MP3. And as you rightfully said, with importance of archiving and document, I just thought like, it's actually part of our history, especially the millennial history. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, although we grew up with cassettes and whatnot, that people came after us who didn't know that period, all the noise MP3 or whatever. Right. So why not actually pay homage to the person who kind of invented it, you know? So that's so crazy that you've gotten in touch with him. And that yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. So your angle with him is to what is the kind of stuff you would ask him actually? What are the things you're looking for? Well, um, I mean it's like uh, with him, I'm just actually um I'm more I'm very much interested in how how he sees a baby that he's responsible for creating, mm. how he sees it evolve to where it is now, where like, you know, um, like literally people, artists, you name it, everyone has profited from this medium. It makes sense, your connection with music and you're working with audio a lot. And it's just a really interesting feature. I think that that's going to be really dope. And then there's Mina. Salami, she's an absolute powerhouse. I'm like, what are you going to ask her? Can we already know a sneak peek? (laughs) I'm like, do you want to take over? And and Mina, by the way, we have a surprise. Tonika is going to tell you, I'm just going to do No, you don't need me. You've got got this. You've got this. No, 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 no. Yeah, so, um, yeah, no, Mina is just, um, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate to uh, know Mina from my, my time in the UK. Mm. I got to know her over a decade ago through mutual friends. And even back then, Mina, she's always been mysterious, always kind of 
quiet. She's kept herself to herself. But, but mutual friends of us said, hey, I, you have to meet Mina. Like she's also Nigerian and, uh, and, um, and she, uh, and I remember I met her. That was, maybe it was in the second year. She formed Miss Afropolita in 2010. Okay. So I think yeah. I've known a couple of years, and then Miss Afropolitan was in its beginning, and then you know how it is, um, Tonika. You've been in that space as well. In the beginning, people always thought it was a bit like, oh, okay, you have feminists. It's like, oh, black feminists. Oh, it's like <laughs> always so angry and very anti-men or whatever. But you know, so Mina started the Miss Afropolitan platform, mm-hmm. and I just wanted Mina to be part of this because um, she. She's a person who has a very interesting journey. You know, she's Nigerian. She's uh, and she's got uh, the European as well. You know, she's uh, yeah. Swedish. Um, I mean, she grew up um, also in Sweden um, uh, and uh, you know, and Finland as well. So she's got all these different mm. connections there. She's just incredible and how she's combining feminism, going back to the source. You know, mm-hmm. in her we, we have a mutual culture, Yoruba. She's, you know, her father is um, Yoruba Muslim. So she we have okay. both that Yoruba connection with the Orishas. And so it'd be interesting to kind of tap into that sort of proto, you know, yeah. Yeah, proto yeah. deities and see what will come out of it. Yeah. Generally, for this festival on the whole, will really enrich the program and, and also bring some really valid perspectives that are also de- you know, decentering Europe, decentering the West, decentering these very conventional ways of looking at things, even breaking down, you know, gender, looking at um, different spirituality, deities, and very much part, like very much traditional parts of our history, as well as the, as the contemporary and the, and the modern. Going forward, what do you think activism should look like in Vienna, um, in Austria, or, or even internationally? But what for you is the focus um, that you think activism should have you know i think it's beginning to have happened slowly but i think activism for me doesn't always have to be a big p that oh yeah it has to be against the system it can also be against i think activism can also be in sense of you you know liberating yourself from your you know from from constructs that have been put there because the whole point of activism is to be so actively sick to grow and nurture and learn from, you know, and, and just learn so, absorb so much information, data, culture from, you know, from your friends and from your foes, because, you know, our enemies strengthen us. And when I mean enemies, I mean those who, uh, who maybe don't have the same agenda as us, but yeah. what can you learn from them mm-hmm. and how can you use that to empower yourself? Because mm-hmm. key, I think the problem with activism, especially um, in the Western context is that we are getting into a sense of polarity where you either for something or you are against, mm-hmm. and we need to get away from those rigid and understand that, you know, in the Af- a lot of African culture, there is, there is, either neither that means mm. that people are not set it's a very european context to kind of go you are left or you're right yeah, you know yeah. you are conservative you know or republican yeah. so i think activism is getting away from that and actually just um encompassing and looking at um the whole picture you know you know what do i see and how can i use art 
you know, how can I use my art to, you know, empower and, and, and yeah, and actually share, you know, share something with the world. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if that really answers your it question. It does make sense. I think what something that you said that was really inspiring, it's simple, but it's inspiring is that it's a, that, you know, um, the active, the active part of it, the actively, you know, it's an ongoing process. And also something you said about it not being basically binary. It's not left, right. It's not black, white. It's not man, woman. It's it, that we have to understand our existence um, as much more complex than that. And, 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 and actively working on that, that understanding is, is activism. You know, it's not always this, hand in the air, pro, pro this, pro that, or anti this, anti that. It's actually more complex than that. And I think that is, that is in essence why you've been chosen to be part, to do this program, because I think you, you get that. And that's something that you're someone that I know works on yourself actively. You're constantly reflecting. You are, um, you're humble, but you, you, you really are doing the work on yourself. And I think that, you know, it's, well, an, example, it's an example to others. And really this is, this is, that that's the same thing I can say about you, T, you know, because I think me and you and you better leave this in. I think <laughs> all this has happened because of the family I was able to form here, you know, obviously through Sons of Blackness, which you are obviously um part of. And I think I learned from you guys and you know, uh collectively what it means to put the cause that is greater than you yeah. over an individual purpose. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the African thing. And um, mm -hmm. people, before people get it twisted, it's when I say the African thing, it's, you know, like, uh, you know, when we did the whole thing about Ubuntu, and mm. this is something that doesn't exist here. Because if it exists here, they wouldn't have gone to other countries and completely kill mm -hmm. and create a family genocide. That wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. But this is something we have. Mm -hmm. And this is why um, this, this is so special because um, for me, the Sounds of Blackness is my family. You are my family. Mm -hmm. And without SOB, there will be no other artists. There will be no, because all that is coming from the same source. It's from the yeah. same soil, yeah. you know? That was Ayo Aloba, aka Ayo the Artist, on cyber activism. You absolutely have to check out the hashtag cyberactivism on Instagram. Since January, artists have been presenting their work through that hashtag and in the hashtag cyber features section of the festival's website. Join us for the next episode of Cyberspace, where I will tell you a bit more about my very own discourse program for this year. See you there.